Well, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse this morning, and that is from verse 15. Uh, but in order to catch the, the context, let's begin in verse 12 and read down to the end of the chapter. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the privilege we have to gather uh, with this assembly of believers and to open up the scriptures and to, to see what your will is for us, particularly this morning as we ad- address this topic of retaliation. Lord, would you open our eyes to uh, see clearly what the text says and will you open our hearts to be receptive so that what we, what we hear today are not just words from a man, but but what we hear is the very word of God that is speaking truth into our life. We desperately need what you have for us this morning. We receive all kinds of false messages throughout the week, and we need to be established and built up in the truth this morning. So help us to set aside distractions and to focus on you and you only. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if you didn't realize, is uh, daylight savings time, and this perhaps will be one of the last ones that we go through. We'll see if, uh, did the bill pass or did it not pass? It hasn't passed yet, okay, so they can't even agree on on something like that, okay, but it could be one of the last daylight savings that we have, and uh, the good news is that everyone here has got an extra hour of sleep. Uh, The bad news is, in just a few minutes, you're going to be ready for lunch. All right, and so I've, I've got to cram this into about 10 minutes because uh, uh, you guys are going to be hungry and, and also ready for, for a nap. Now, with the change in seasons uh, comes uh, the change to wearing uh, winter clothes and particularly a winter jacket. And perhaps you've already dusted yours off and pulled it out and have made the necessary preparations. But there's a sense in which this sermon this morning is like a winter jacket I purchased at one time. 
I purchased it with the assumption that it had the normal amount of pockets and really didn't put too much thought into it, but just purchased this jacket nonetheless. And then the, as, I, as I began to wear it for some time, I found that there were pockets in places I didn't know pockets existed, and this was a new adventure for me. Perhaps you've had the same experience. Now, the sermon we're, and the passage we're looking at this morning is from verse 15 on the subject of retaliation. And the, the topic, I think in my own life, has proved to be much like that jacket with numerous pockets that I didn't know existed. See, we approach a passage like this in verse 15, and we read these words, See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil. And the tendency we can have is to be like, well, you know what? I've heard this passage before. I've heard it other places in the New Testament. It's been preached on before. And the tendency is to gloss over it as if it has no real relevance for us in our life at this moment. And that's what, in fact, I was even doing this week. In fact, I even considered skipping verse 15 because I've already preached twice from Romans chapter 12 on retaliation and revenge. And so, but because I didn't want to come to the next passage too early before Thanksgiving, I decided, well, we'll just do verse 15 this morning. And then as I began to, to meditate on this theme, the more hidden pockets I started to find in my own life of, of ways in which I'm inclined to retaliate when wrong is done to me. Now, my responses are rarely, if ever, overt public retaliations or revenge. Rather, in my life, it's more like an, an inner checklist of, of keeping record of all the wrongs done to me and responding wrongfully in, in that way. For some, it may be more public and more overt, but the reality is we're all tempted on some level to respond to wrong with wrong. And it's in that sense when I began to, to think about how this passage is talking about more than just public and overt aspects of revenge, but really not responding to any wrong with any wrong, well, then it began to open up a world of application for this passage in, in my life. And so this morning, I want us to, to think about those hidden pockets in our own life and the ways in which we're inclined to respond to wrongs done with us with a, a set of wrongs on our own part. And I think once we start to look for those pockets, we'll find them all over in our heart, and this will prove to be a beneficial passage for us. Because the truth is, you might not retaliate outwardly, but inwardly you've murdered your brother a thousand times in the Sermon on the Mount sense, when Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. So I think as we come across this passage, I think this will prove to be a bigger issue for us than what we might have already or have already sort of written it off, but it might prove to be more helpful for us than we have uh, expected. Now before we get into this passage, allow me to just briefly, briefly remind us of the context. Okay, Paul is concluding this letter of 1 Thessalonians with a series of rapid-fire exhortations. As we read through those, you, you notice he seems to just jump from one subject to the other. And these exhortations, they're not a set of random reminders from Paul. Rather, they're connected back to verse 11, right? Paul has just, in, in verse 11 and previously, he's unpacked the details of the rapture. He's unpacked the details of the day of the Lord. And he finishes with these words in verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up just as you are doing. And then in the verses to follow, these are the ways in which we are to encourage one another and build one another up. And in light of the, the, this context this morning and the way verse 15 connects back to verse 11, we might say something like this, that in light of Christ's imminent return, we really don't have time to, to spend our days repaying evil with evil and being consumed by wrongs done to us and becoming bitter in our heart. We just don't have enough time for that. Christ has put us on a mission to represent him and serve him in this world, and we're to be living blamelessly at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be overcome by, by the evil done to us and to grow bitter and resentful in our own heart, it just doesn't line up with the return of Christ. So it's, it's interesting how these two ideas connect here in this passage. So let's not repay evil for evil, but seek to always do good to everyone. Now, as we consider this verse this morning, I want to look at two points, okay? There is first an action to be avoided, and then there is secondly an alternative to be pursued, okay? An action to be avoided and an alternative to be pursued. So let's look at number one first. There is an action to be avoided, and it is this, repaying evil for evil. Now, as we consider this this portion of, or the first portion of this verse, uh, I want us to notice first the need for this instruction or the need for this reminder. Okay, so Paul begins with these words in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Now in the NIV, the word see in the very beginning here is translated as make sure. Or in other words, what Paul's saying is he's he's cautioning these believers, telling them to watch over both themselves and one another so that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Now, the first reason this reminder is needed is because we will all be wronged at some point in our life. Right? It would be better to say we're all going to be wronged at some point during our day. Because that seems to be how frequently we are wronged in this life. And this verse seems to assume the reality that we will be wronged. Right? Don't repay evil for evil. So it assumes that evil will be done to us. So we shouldn't be surprised. We live in a world that is occupied by sinners. We attend a church that is filled with sinners. We live in a a family that abounds with sinners. And as we share life together, the opportunities to, to wrong others and to be wronged are numerous. So we should have our eyes opened to this reality. It seems like the Apostle Paul, in every one of his letters, once you get to the second half of it, addresses some type of relational conflict or, or, or instruction as to how to work these types of details out. In fact, we've said numerous times in our studies that the mark of genuine Christianity is not so much the absence of conflict— as it is the way in which we handle the conflict when it comes. Do we do it with grace and humility and and wisdom? And if our lives are supposed to be free of conflict, then that just doesn't line up with what the New Testament says. Rather, peace is what we pursue and what we want to achieve on the other side of conflict. And that's the mark of genuine faith in the Lord. 
Now, the second reason why this reminder is needed in verse 15 is because we all face the temptation to respond to evil with evil. It just comes quite naturally. No one has to teach you or put this desire in your heart that when a wrong is done to you, to want to level the playing field, so to speak. It comes naturally as a part of our, our sin nature. It doesn't matter how old we are or how mature we become, we still have this temptation to repay evil with evil. Now, I have a four-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy, and it is very evident uh, that, that this is, just comes naturally, right? If someone takes the toy, retaliation is, is instantly acted upon, right? So we, we're, we're trying to learn systems of, of justice and fairness in our home. In fact, the other day, Blake uh, says to my wife, he says, Mom, do you listen to the devil? Which is kind of a strange question, and, but my wife is a lot quicker than I, than I am, and she responds, no, because the devil tells me to do bad things and to be grumpy. She says, do you listen to the devil? And Blake says, no, but Logan does. <laughs> so we're, we're learning these, these particular lessons in our, in our home uh, not, to re, not to retaliate. Now, in the, case of the, in the case of the Thessalonians, I mean, we've, we've covered this numerous times, they were facing significant persecution. Uh, it started instantly, almost instantly after the church was established, and the temptation for them was likely to want to retaliate for the wrongs that were being done to them. And, and what's more is, is in the culture in which they, they lived, the culture in which Paul was writing, retaliation was not only acceptable, it was encouraged. In fact, listen to what one commentator says about the culture in which the Thessalonians were living. He says, In the Roman world, just as in the Greek, avenging oneself for a wrong done was necessary because of the humiliation a Roman's prestige suffered if he showed himself reluctant to respond and retaliate for hostile acts. A Roman simply could not afford to turn the other cheek and expect to maintain his position in society. The loss of social honor called for vengeance to be extracted in order to reestablish one's place in the community. And so as you see, retaliation was woven into the fabric of their society. And so these words that Paul says, don't repay evil for evil, is something of a countercultural exhortation, because their natural tendency would be to retaliate. No, I think it's safe to say that, that this same attitude is prevalent in our society as well. One author says this about retaliation. He says this, No vice is more regarded as a virtue than retaliation. I think he's on to something. If someone hits you, you're taught to respond in kind. Any other response would be to show that people can walk all over you. If someone slanders you publicly then you slander them back just as publicly. If someone sins against you, will you let them hear how wrong they are? And these and many more are the natural responses of our sinful hearts. And the culture around us encourages this. 
I mean, who among us doesn't appreciate a good movie where the hero is a vigilante who takes matters into his own hands and, and solves all the problems of his day? This attitude is praised in our culture, and it's, it's, we're told to emulate it. After all, the expression, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is in the Bible, so it must be a good thing that we seek this kind of revenge. So clearly, the sentiment of our own heart combined with the spirit of the age, makes this reminder that Paul gives us necessary for our spiritual lives. Now lastly, and the third reason why this reminder is necessary is because retaliation never solves and it never satisfies. Okay, so we need to be reminded not to repay evil for evil because when we do, it only brings more trouble and hurt. Like most sins... It brings pleasure in the moment, but then it leaves us with pain and destruction. I have a dear, dear godly friend who told me the funniest story about an instance of retaliation in his own life. And I have to be careful because he sometimes listens to my sermons, so I don't want him to, 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 to seek any retaliation on, on me, right, in this case. But, but from time to time, his, his father-in-law would get on his nerves. And he would lament to me about this, and I would try to give him some wisdom, you know, whatever wisdom I had, I don't know. And so one night, at a, at a family Christmas dinner, at a restaurant, the, the door opens up an opportunity for him to, to, to vent his frustration about his father-in-law's hypocrisy and spirit of judgmentalism. So like most of us do, when, a, when the door opens to that kind of thing, we unwisely walk right through it. And so he lays into him publicly in front of the whole family at this Christmas dinner at a restaurant and says everything that had been on his mind. And as the night would have it, that was the last conversation that happened that everybody went their separate ways. And so my friend had a two-and-a-half-hour drive on the, uh, to, to, to his home. And do you know what his wife said to him on the way home? Nothing, right? So... And then what made matters worse is his, his brother-in-laws were texting him and his phone's blowing up and saying, that was awesome. We wanted to say those same things to our father-in-law. So he told me he pulled in the driveway and his wife finally said something and she said, everything you said tonight was true, but you didn't need to say it. So now he's telling me this story and he's lamenting this. And he's like, I imagine myself saying those things on so many occasions and it felt, I thought it would feel so good to say them. But now that I've said them, now it doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. Because now my wife's upset with me, and now I've got to humble myself and go back and apologize to my father-in-law for the things that I, I had been thinking all this time and, and said, and it just created more difficulty and destruction in, in his situation. Now let's be honest, we've all been where my friend has been. We might not have done it at a Christmas dinner, but we've all vented and said things that were on our mind. And we thought that the retaliation was going to feel so good. And then afterward, we're like, oh, man, why did I open my mouth and say those things? You know what's even worse is, is if, we, if we, sometimes we don't vent publicly, but, but internally, we are destroyed by a wrong attitude in response to a wrong done to us. Right, that's why Paul, in, in talking about the same chapter, or talking about the same topic in, in Romans 12, 21, he says, don't be overcome with evil, 
but overcome evil with good because we can be so overcome with the evil done to us that it ends up bringing destroying and destruction in in our own life. So for these reasons, this reminder is is necessary. So that's the need for these instructions. But secondly, we see the, the nature of these instructions. Okay, as we consider what Paul says in this verse, it's important to clarify what the passage does mean and what the passage does not mean. Okay, so, so what the passage does not mean. Okay, when Paul says, do not repay evil for evil, what does that not mean? Well, the passage does not mean that believers can never respond when evil is, is done to them. And I think this is an important point to clarify because sometimes we get the impression especially from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that, that any wrong done to us, we're just supposed to turn the other cheek, give up our tunic, and, and walk the extra mile. But I think if that's the case, right, if we take Jesus' words and understand them extremely literally, then, then what we are left with is that anytime evil is done with us, that we're just supposed to, to, to take it and allow for more evil to continue. But I don't think Jesus, the intent of Jesus' words are to say that, that that we're just supposed to take all kinds of abuse and, and, and evil. Instead, we should understand that Jesus' teaching on the matter is an encouragement for believers to be willing to be wronged and not to, to, to retaliate in, in sinful ways when they, are, when they are sinned against. We might say it this way. We should be willing for, the, for, for love to cover a multitude of sins rather than taking retaliation against wrongs done to us. But, but, but there are times when it is appropriate for believers to speak up and to respond when wrong is done to them. Right? So numerous times we read through the, through the book of Acts and the epistles uh, where the Apostle Paul, when suffering beatings, appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen in order to avoid the mistreatment that was being done to him. See, the Lord has established different institutions in society that, that have the responsibility to address different wrongs in their sphere, right? So the Lord has established the institution of the home. He's established the institution of the church and and the institution of of government. And each one of these institutions have the responsibility to to rein in and correct wrong when it is done in in their particular sphere. So when, when a brother hits his sister... The sister is not required to just turn the other cheek and let the brother do it again, right? The Lord has put an appropriate leadership in the situation to enact the appropriate amount of discipline for the wrong done. And the same is the case when, when, when sin enc- is encountered in the church or when sin is encountered in society, that it is entirely appropriate to sometimes pursue legal matters, to sometimes pursue church leadership. So in whatever sphere it's in, believers can respond to wrong done to them. So when Christians are persecuted and the government should have the responsibility to protect them, but then they don't do as the Lord requires and to protect their, their citizens, well then, at that point, believers often face persecution. And their responsibility then is to, to leave it in the hands of the Lord. But, but many times, and I say most times it seems, that we can respond in appropriate ways and then allow the leaders that be to handle those situations. But in our, in our one-to-one conflicts or in our interpersonal rela- uh, conflicts, if we can 
allow love to cover a multitude of sins, then that's what is better. That's what's best. If, like Jesus says, in that sense, if you can turn the other cheek and you can bear the pain and you can take the loss and you can move on, then that's going to be better for the health of, of your relationships in the body of Christ. Now, so that's what the passage does not mean. Now, let's look at what the passage does mean. Okay, the passage means something very specific here when it says this. See to it that no one repays evil for evil. So there is a world of difference between appropriately responding and, and, and using the ordained means for solving an issue. There's a, a world of difference between seeking appropriate means and responding with, with sinful actions. Okay, so what the Lord forbids in this passage is that when a wrong is done to us, that we respond in kind, that we fight fire with fire, or that we respond in a sinful way ourselves. So that's what's being forbidden in this passage. Okay? We don't have the freedom to sin in response to sin. Okay? Now, it's at this point that we should recognize that repaying evil for evil is not limited only to those public acts of vengeance. You know, the types of things that sort of hit the news where somebody murders because a murder had been done in their family and so they respond to evil with evil, okay? Sometimes we think about these verses in just those big ticket heinous sins, okay? But truthfully, as we, as we noted in the beginning, there are a number of ways, more subtle and private ways, where you and I are inclined to respond to evil with evil. So have you ever given someone the silent treatment or the cold shoulder? Now you may sort of overlook that, but in reality, it is an evil response to an evil done. Have you ever harbored bitterness in your heart against another person? That's a, a form of of evil in response to an evil? Have you gossiped to other people about something that was done sinfully to you? Well, that's responding sinfully to a sin that's been committed against you. Or sometimes have you ever lashed out in anger because of someone's sin against you? There are probably numerous examples that we could mention, but I just mentioned these examples to show us that the ways in which We respond to evil with evil are numerous. So it's not just big-ticket items. It's it's all kinds of of subtle and private ways where we respond to sin with sin. So let me ask you this question and reflect on this. In what ways are you prone to respond to evil with evil? Okay, what what are the pockets... In, in your heart, where you're most inclined to repay in this way. Okay, so there is an action to be avoided, but the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on. Do we see there is an alternative to be pursued? And we are to seek to do good. So notice how the verse continues in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, But, Paul says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, you read those verses and you think, well, if the first instruction, 
seemed impossible, not to repay evil for evil. Then you get to the second one, then I've got to do good to everyone. Well, this seems entirely impossible. And you're right. Like in and of ourselves, it is impossible to fulfill the instructions that are given to us in any meaningful and consistent way. Like occasionally we can do some good to people that do evil to us, but to do it in a meaningful and consistent way, almost entirely possible. Apart from the grace of God at work in our own heart. Okay? So, so if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit is at work in you, and it's He that enables us to look at people differently when we are wronged. So just skip down to verse 23, and we see this unfolded for us when it says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that it is possible because God is at work in us, sanctifying us, so that we look more like Jesus Christ. And so then we begin to respond in in, in, in unusual ways that, that ordinarily we would not have responded this way, but because God's grace is at work in my life, now I begin to, to do good to others who have done evil to me. Where before Christ, this would not even be a thought on our minds. Now I'll submit to you that there are some instances where, where a person may wrong another person and any future contact is entirely inappropriate. But most of our hurts are, are of the kind where it is still possible to do good to someone who sins against us, right? Most of our sins are, 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 are sort of interpersonal kinds of sins where evil is done to us, and, and we really can, by the grace of God, do good to one another in spite of wrong done to us. Now, notice three things about this last phrase in verse 15. Notice this first, that doing good to those who have sinned against us is to be an intentional pursuit. Okay? It is to be an intentional pursuit. So, so notice the word Paul uses here. He says, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, that word seek, in the Greek word, it's used all throughout the New Testament. And the, the majority of times, you'll find this interesting, the majority of times that word seek is translated, it is translated as persecute. Now, that seems strange, but, but literally the word means to pursue after. So when it's used in a negative sense, it's to pursue after someone to do them harm. And that's why the vast majority of cases in the New Testament are to persecute. But in a positive sense, it means to seek someone out to do good to them. And that's what's being used here. So Paul calls us to, to seek to do good to those who have wronged us. And in a sense, what we could say this quite literally, he's asking us, to persecute people with goodness or to kill them with kindness is what he has asked him to. So that takes a, a, a sort of intentionality on our part to think about how we might pursue someone to do good to them even though they have wronged us. Now keep your finger here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and let's go over to Romans chapter 12 because Romans chapter 12 is the, the longer explanation of of what we find here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Right, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 12, it's a, a lengthy 
passage really that starts in, in verse 17 where he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, so this is a, a longer paragraph on the short phrase we have in 1 Thessalonians 5. Okay, so, but notice verse 17 that we just read, where Paul says this, something similar to what we read in, our, in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but he says this, but give thought or close attention to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, what does he mean when he says, do what is honorable in the sight of all? Well, he then quotes Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22 in verse 20. Okay, so Romans 12, 20, he says this, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, giving something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. So what does it look like to, to do good to those who have, who have done evil against us? Well, it's this idea of, of serving them, doing acts of service. If, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, giving them something to drink. And, and when the Bible talks about good works, it's really these acts of, of service that are to be done. That's what the Apostle Paul is calling us here, both in, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and in Romans chapter 12. But there's an interesting phrase in verse 20, is there not? That needs a little bit of explanation. What does it mean when he says, and by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I'd love to just skip the the acts of goodness and go straight to the burning coals, right? It'd be much better if I just had burning coals. And I hear you, and I, I agree at times. But here in this passage, good works are intended to have an effect on the individual, on the one who sinned against us. Now, in the Old Testament, burning coals were a sign of judgment on individuals. So, for example, Psalm 11, verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be a portion of their cup. And throughout the Old Testament, it, you have phrases like this where burning coals are a sign of, of judgment. So when we do acts of kindness to those who have sinned against us, there is a sense in which we're bringing punishment on their head. Or to say it another way, we are increasing their guilt and shame over their sin. As I said, in that sense, we are killing them with kindness. And this is what the Lord says happens when we do good to those who have sinned against us. Okay, so doing good is to be an intentional pursuit, but doing good to those who have sinned against us is also, secondly, to be a consistent pursuit, right? So, so in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this, in verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now that word always is, is unfortunate at times because what we don't always want to do this, but what he says here is this is to be characteristic of our life. He's not asking for an occasional 
act of goodness when someone has wronged us, but rather what he's asking for is, is a consistent character of, of goodness in our, in our conflicts. Right? I like, if you're still in Romans 12, I like the way he words it in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, if there's going to be a break in relationship between you and another person, conduct yourself in such a way with so much grace and so much love that it ends up being the other person as the reason for the conflict. Because as much as it depends on you, you have done everything to live at peace with one another. So it's to be a consistent pursuit. Lastly, we see in this passage that doing good to those who have sinned against us is to be an all-encompassing pursuit. Okay, he finishes Ephesians this phrase in Ephesians 5, and he says, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is a call to pursue peace both inside and outside of the body of Christ. Now, why does he command this of believers? Well, when we do this, we become a powerful testimony to the gospel of Christ. When instead of repaying evil with evil, we repay with goodness and kindness to those who sin against us. Well, the glory of the gospel is, is put on display. And we start to look like what we are, children of God. Right? So in our scripture reading that Rob read, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then Jesus says this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That when we act like this, we put the glory of the gospel on display and we show that we are children of God. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Like, everybody loves those who love them. But if you can love those who do wrong to you, well, then you are acting like Christ. So when we love in this way, we are showing that Christ has made an impact in our life. It becomes a powerful testimony to the gospel. There are numerous stories and examples of individuals, particularly like on the mission field, who at one time were persecutors of Christians and then have come to Christ to to be able to be part of that assembly because of God's grace and the testimony of these believers. Now, as we move toward the Lord's table and thinking about these things, I want to turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and remind us of the example that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because there will be times when we feel like we cannot respond to evil in this way. But like we said last week, we want to resemble our Savior. We want to bear Christ's likeness. We want to look like our God and Father. And the way we do that is by following his example. So First Peter chapter 2, you see he says in verse 21, he says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, this is the standard. This is the example we follow. That when wrongs are done to us, we don't repay evil for evil. We don't revile. We don't retaliate. But because of Christ's work in our life, enabling us to to follow him and look like him, that we can respond with goodness and kindness even when evil is done to us. I don't know what the pockets of of retaliation are in, in your heart, but the chances are they're there. That You have your specific ways in which you respond to evil with evil. And so we need to acknowledge those before our Lord, repent of them, and seek to do good to one another for the glory of God and the testimony of the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for the matters that this passage addresses because it is easy for us to walk through life and ignore some of our most glaring faults. But the sufficiency of the word calls attention to these things, and so we're blessed to be able to consider these in our lives. And we come to you, Lord, this morning in repentance, asking for your help and your forgiveness so that we might resemble you in the way we respond to wrong. This is not an easy thing that this passage has called us to, so Lord, let us continue to run to you to be equipped by your grace so that we might live as we should live. And may you be honored with our responses, and may the gospel advance because of our testimony. 